remain standing and turn in your Bibles to John's third letter, just before Revelation. In the evening, we've begun a series in third John. I believe this is the second message. We looked at truth, love, and joy last evening worship, and here we come to verses 5 through 8, 3 John 5 through 8. Let's go to our God in prayer before we hear His Word read. Our great God, whose Word is truth, we pray that You would sanctify us through Your Word. Amen. 3 John 5 through 8. Hear now the Word of God. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. doesn't take a math major to know that double is numerically more than one, but sometimes it is spiritually better to be double, and other times it is not. Numbers do not necessarily hint at greater morality. Joseph's brothers knew knew that they were evil. Joseph knew that they were evil, and they were more than he. Many of Israel's enemies were more numerous than Israel. They did not have the more, they didn't have the spiritual upper hand. Athanasius' fight against Arianism was biblically and superior, or spiritually superior fight, despite the fact that he was contra mundum, against the world. But for those just causes, in the case of those worthy endeavors, two are better than one. Ecclesiastes 4 tells us that two are better when they toil together for good. When man and woman are joined with a singular purpose of glorifying God in their respective callings, their marriage flourishes, their children grow up under the sun of righteousness with the refreshing water of the Spirit, and their enlightening and salty influence reaches out. If two friends should happen to be together, and one falls into a pit, the other can lift him up from that pit. In cold winter nights, it is much harder for a single person to get warm, to stay warm. And the situation is doubly improved when two work together to stay warm through the night. How useful for those spiritually cold to snuggle up next to the warmth of gathering believers. If a man got into a fight fight with someone, surely having another to have your back is double service. The Christian's war is to be fought alongside Christian soldiers who've Got your six. If two are better than one, think of the added reinforcement of a third. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The Trinitarian cord is absolutely essential for those in the Lord's army. We hear John speaks to Gaius and the church of the necessity of a full support to the gospel cause. One missionary shall not suffice. And so we pray regularly, more missionaries, God. And as they go out into the world, some will fall into a pit. Their recovery rests on another to pull them out. 
If alone, cold, and in despair, they, they will soon be warmed and encouraged that they might continue to proclaim with tongues of fire the Spirit-inspired gospel word. And as they fight against the enemy, they will be well supplied by those who have their six and their three and their nine. The church that is joined by the threefold cord of Father, Son, and Spirit will provide the needed and timely help to their hands as they go to other lands for the sake of Jesus' powerful gospel. The local church follows in the name of Christ through gospel provision and promotion. The local church provides both spiritual and physical support to her missionaries. Verse 5 again says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. And people are regularly asked to help in one way or another, whether we're walking downtown or we are in a car stopped at a light. We do not lack pleas for monetary help. They, they come to us without us asking for them. Or the phone might ring when we are home, and it's an unknown number. If we, if we dare to pick it up, Will we be asked to give more than the time that we do in having the conversation? And what will we say if there is a request for help? And if we decide to help, how much will we help? Whether we have the funds or not, we are regularly bombarded with pleas for mercy or with once-in-a-lifetime opportunities to spend or to invest. And it's not that these requests... and frankly, sometimes demands, are in themselves wrong or even unworthy causes. But because our resources are limited, we must ask whether it is a worthy cause for us and whether we can meet that need. And as far as John, as John the elder here is concerned, when Gaius, what Gaius is doing is a faithful thing, worthy of God, purely commendable to the Lord. You'll recall that Gaius supported brothers in the Lord, these traveling missionaries, though they were strangers to him. They were not to John and to others, but he received them. This is something that we'll see next, uh, next week that Diotrephes does not do, that Gaius does. Verse 7 and 8, we read, For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing for the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Church causes are worthy causes. From these verses, it's clear that John has in mind that it is the joyful responsibility of the church to support the church. Real help depends not on the world, but on the church. As part of John's commendation of these foreign brothers, he says that they have not accepted anything from the Gentiles. What he means there is they have not accepted anything from unbelievers. If you ever tried to raise financial support, you know the trial in your own heart when you don't see the support coming in as you have prayed, as you have hoped. For one reason or another, the unbelieving world might think it is to its advantage to support this Christian here or that Christian company there. But a state-run church runs itself into a whole host of problems, to be sure. Contrary to what many have thought, Geneva in Calvin's day was not a state-run church. In truth, the state and the church were to support 
each other in their spheres, even as our own confession speaks of. But sometimes, and I think we know this all too well, the state thinks it can do some things that it ought not to do. Sometimes the state thinks, the nation thinks, um, that it has full authority over all, that it has been given all authority in heaven and earth. In Calvin's day, he got himself in a bit of trouble from the state because he resisted his undue influence. He was a staunch proponent of the idea that church discipline should be handled by the church and not adjudicated by the state. He disregarded and even disobeyed the state's insistence on having control in this area. And so Calvin even refused to offer the Lord's Supper to people that were in good standing by the magistrate, by the state, but not according to the elders of the church. This was significant because they served the Lord's Supper only four times in a year. But they didn't want to serve the Lord's Supper to people that they knew were not genuine believers. And they wanted to send a message that the church has the responsibility over the sacraments and the state should stay away. And so when the state tries to take control over the marks of the church, over the word of God, over the sacraments, over church discipline, they have overstepped and they must be resisted. Do you want the state, do you want the nation as it is, calling the shots on what is the gospel, on defining the good news? Would you prefer the nation to decide who are the gospel's accepted preachers? And how the church ought to be run. May never be. And when it comes to supporting the messengers of the gospel, missionaries must resist the temptation to accept from the unbelieving world their daily bread. It is the church's joyful responsibility to supply them so well that the temptation to do so is quickly cast aside. Our missionaries, our ministries need to know how much we love them, how much we care for them, and how, we, how much we support them in real, tangible ways that we might free them up for the gospel ministry. And John reminds Gaius and the local church, and so us, of these real needs. And we'll get to 2 John in a handful of weeks, but in 2 John verses 10 and 11, the, the command is not to receive, not to greet, not to even extend a, a handshake to those whose works are evil, not to support that evil doing, but instead to receive, to welcome those who are about the kingdom of God, those who promote the, the proclamation of the gospel. And so John recalls his teacher's words in Matthew 10, that by receiving one of these little ones, one of these disciples, we are receiving Christ. Even giving a small cup of water to a disciple of Christ is no small matter. It doesn't go unnoticed by our Father in heaven who sees all. It doesn't go unnoticed by our Father who loves to reward His children. As the Scripture says, let brotherly love continue by showing hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some have even entertained angels, or the word there is messengers. Some have even entertained messengers, unawares. Hospitality is essential. Verse 6, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy 
of God. Hospitality for gospel ministers is meeting their real needs. Now, we, we talked about this at the end of, of Titus, but this, word, this language here of supporting people like these in verse 8, and verse 6, you'll do well to send them on their journey. This is the language of uh, meeting real needs, like money, food, drink, clothing, a place to stay, on all of the necessary accommodations. Surely we must hold up not only one another here in this local church, but those that we support, and we should hold them up in prayer. It's not an obligatory request when missionaries, ministries ask for our, our prayers, and they say, we cover your prayers. They really, they really mean it. It's not, we've got to say this because, you know, we want to sound spiritual, and then we'll ask for the money. We really need your prayers. We depend upon your prayers. And as they go forth with the gospel, we pray that the seed sown will take root. As the gospel is proclaimed, we pray that stony hearts would be broken by the hammer of God's spirit-inspired, spirit-wrought word. As the missionaries visit from house to house, we pray that the good physician will use his word to cut away that sinful flesh and to apply the salve of salvation. We support our missionaries. We support our, mission, our missions and our ministries through prayer. But also through lodging. Missionaries need a place to stay as they go from place to place with the gospel. They may travel from Florida to Fayetteville for a time. They may move from the Caribbean to Cross Creek for a few weeks, or they may be permanently fixed beyond us. But it is our joyful responsibility to support these people by ensuring much-needed lodging. While they're there, as they come in, John Henry Jowett, a former preacher at Westminster Chapel London, says, True love is a splendid host, a veritable Gaius in the lavish entertainment which it offers to weary and footsore pilgrims. We supply their lodging for refuge and renewal before they return to a, a fruitless, seedless land, just waiting to be planted by servant sowers as they follow the good sower. And for some of us, this, this means opening up our homes when these beloved servants pass through on furlough. And if you've had opportunity to receive traveling missionaries, you know what a blessing it is to be a blessing. You know what mutual encouragement and refreshment you have to hear their stories of God's great work in that land. And as you can encourage them to go out again, to keep on keeping on. For others of us, it, it might look like ongoing monetary support to secure their place of residence, to assist in their travels. And as we have opportunity, as we even make opportunity, we show our money where our mouth is. Now, our own church is not blocked, by, uh, blocked from requests for, for money. Throughout the year, we receive email, uh, mail, pleas from the Presbytery, pleas from the General Assembly, 
Please from the Reformed seminaries, please from local ministries, and many missionaries besides. All of them asking if we can support them. Would that we could support all of these worthwhile gospel causes. We pray for more than we can financially support, but we also look for certain gospel causes to support. We don't say we can't, we can't support them all, so we'll support none of them. We consider our own resources. Consider what these, these missions are doing, these ministries are doing, and try to support them. Surely, it's the same in, in your case, is it not? At this point, you, you might feel guilty because you're not supporting that cause or, or that cause over there, and that's not the point here. We can't support every worthwhile cause. But it is possible that you can support even one ministry in some small financial way. Oh, certainly our responsibility is to support the church here, which uses the resources for those other missions and other ministries. But even a cup of water adds up to the other cups of water given by others. Again, it's not, an, it's not a throwaway phrase when missionaries say, you know, anything helps. I remember when I was in, uh, I think it was a first year or second year teacher, and we just had one income, and you know how, how much teachers make first year, you know, private school teacher. And uh, one of our friends, uh, he and his wife were going to Spain to... Uh, bring the gospel. He was learning the language, and he was going to bring the gospel to this particular small town in, in Spain. I said, hey, we'll help you, but I don't know how much we can give you. I can, we think we can give you like $10 a month. I think that's what it was. And, and I felt bad about that, and he rebuked me in love. He said, don't, don't approach it that way. Everything, uh, any, anything helps. If that's what you can do, that's what you can do. If you can't do that and you, and you can you know, just pray, then we'll, we'll take those prayers too, whatever you can do, because we want others joined in this cause. And of course, they weren't depending only on $10 a month from the mocks. <laughs> but it all adds up. I recently watched a, a very heartwarming video that showed a family's tradition each year around Christmas time, the father takes his family out to a restaurant. Now, the excitement is not so much the meal as it is their playful tradition with whatever they get. If they get a waiter or a waitress, whoever's going to serve them, they have this tradition. And they want to bless, in this, in this video is a waitress, they want to bless this waitress with a sizable tip. And so they put three different amounts of money, you know, one under each mug, three mugs. And so they have the three mugs on the table, and they lightly, you know, you know, reorganize and shuffle the mugs. And they coach the waitress through this whole process. You know, are you sure you want to pick that one? And, and so you know, she, uh, she chooses one to eliminate, and, he, and the father you know, lifts the cup, and it reveals there's $5. So that's what she passes up on, and it only gets better from there. So she puts that mug away, that $5 away, and... You know, repeats the process, shuffling the two, and 
she chooses one. Are you sure that's the one you want to choose? Well, maybe this one. Maybe that's the one you want to choose. Okay, and lifts the mug, and there's twenty-five dollars that come, you know, out. Wow, twenty-five dollars. You missed that. And then the, the third mug reveals five hundred dollars. I bet you wanted to be a waitress for them that that morning. To, to the waitress's shock, and to the family's joy. She, they give her the $500, and then the 25 and the 5 They gave her the, the $530 just because they wanted to bless someone. Such generosity of heart. If generous hearts give to less worthy and even spontaneous causes, how much should our hearts incline intentionally to the most worthy cause, that of helping the promotion of Christ? If You have the world's goods, dear saints, and you see a brother in need. Do not close your heart to him, but open it wide with outstretched arms embracing him. Faithful, worthy causes are those that promote the name of Christ. Verse 8, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Supporting gospel missionaries participates in the truth. Fellowships with the truth. As we lift them up in prayer, we put their names before Christ, their mediator, not because he has forgotten them, but because he loves to work through his evangelists, through our prayers. And as we speak of these servants' ministries to one another, to our visitors, when they ask us, well, what what missions do you do? What ministries do you support? We are reminding the church of our commitment. We are reminding the visitors of our commitment to Christ's gospel cause, to his kingdom agenda, to get the word out. We who love truth express to our Father in heaven our love for his truth to sound forth to all. We who love love express to the Son our spiritual interest in love incarnate for all. We who love joy express to the Spirit our heavenly prayer for the Spirit to blow where the sower has sown to the endless joy of all hearts. This is our commitment. This is our desire. This is our our love for Christ, for His Word, for the salvation of souls. William Carey, who worked in India for 40 years as a missionary, used to call his supporters back home in the UK rope holders because they held the ropes while he was venturing down into what he fondly described as a gold mine in India. Dear ones, hold the rope. As the missionaries and ministries we support mine for gold, hold the rope through your prayers, beloved saints of God, as they hold up gospel gold to miserable sinners and be moved by the missionary, the one in whose name all followers are walking. People like being part of something bigger than themselves. Could be a company, could be a sports team, a city, a family. They know their own individual smallness, but they are excited about what can be done What can be accomplished with greater numbers that are united for a singular and supreme cause? But remember the singular and supreme cause 
that Christ gave his people. Baptize and disciple the nations. Teach them everything I have commanded you. You can't get any bigger than the kingdom of God. The local church becomes the helpmeet for the missionary. Comes alongside to proclaim that gospel. As Piper has famously said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Our desire, our, our heart's deep affection is that in whatever part we play is to see people submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and to worship the triune God with great and godly reverence in both spirit and truth. The waters team with elect fish just waiting to be plucked from the waters of chaos and placed in the pleasant waters of Christ's kingdom wherein waves of righteousness roll on for all eternity. And as a three-corded church, together let us go fishing. Let's pray. A great God, you have called us to be fishers of men. You told us what to do. You told us that the harvest is white. It is ready to be plucked. You've told us that there are people in every town, your elect, waiting to be given the gospel. And we pray that we would do well to come alongside the ministries of the church for the advancement, not of our own name, but for the name of Christ. For his glory, amen.